Hello and welcome to Authentically Alongside. I'm your host, Sarah Nishimoto. And I'm Emily Kallenberg, coming alongside Sarah. This podcast exists as a way to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. We want to come alongside you authentically, sharing our lives and hope in Jesus. Hello and welcome back to Authentically Alongside. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. So today we are tackling a question from one of our listeners. We asked for your input between season one and season two of what topics you'd like us to cover. Mm -hmm. And honestly, this is one that I've been wanting to do for a while, but it just wasn't time yet. Yeah. But now it is. So our listener wanted to know our thoughts on deconstruction. And she shared that attending church has brought some of my greatest memories as well as some of my deepest hurts. And unfortunately, if we're being honest, I think most of us can resonate with that statement deeply. Yeah, absolutely. I have found myself on more than one occasion saying something like, just don't always like church people or I love church, but sometimes it's just exhausting. Um, We all feel this tension between what we feel like church should be and the reality that church is filled with flawed humans who sin and are living in God's grace. And I feel like this topic actually fits really well within our um, series on seasons Mm -hmm. because we were talking about seasons where we experience loss or waiting or God's working in us and developing us and cultivating um, things in our lives. But sometimes as we go through those seasons, it leads us to questions and doubts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is a heavy topic to talk about. And if you've been wounded by the church, please take care of yourself. It's okay to not listen to this episode. Right. As we talk about abuse and trauma in the church, this could either be really difficult to listen to or it could help you feel less alone in whatever you have walked through. But only you know what your heart and your mind is ready for as we step into this topic. Yeah. So by tackling this question, like Emily said, our goal is to make you feel less alone mm-hmm. in what you've experienced. When no one talks about the difficult things, we can feel crazy and yeah. like we're just so alone. Nobody understands what we've experienced. Yeah. But we both have experienced spiritual abuse and religious trauma to some extent and walking in the aftermath of the harm is awful yeah but i love this quote from natalie runyon in her book race to stay she says he reminds us that he wastes nothing that our questioning and pain and worries and frustration don't disqualify us or become our identity rather these experiences give us credentials to tell others it's going to be okay So with those credentials, we are here to share with you that it's going to be okay. Even if it doesn't feel okay right now and you feel broken, confused, and alone. So first, uh, let's start with some definitions. It's important to be able to name what you've seen or experienced in order to make decisions in leaving or staying in an environment, seeking help, and ultimately healing from what you've experienced. Yeah, I think um, so many of us have experienced some of these things we're going to talk about, but we we just think it's normal or Mm -hmm. we, we don't realize the extent that it goes within the church or... Um, how damaging it can be to people who experience it. So just kind of recognizing that is a good place to start. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, 
when I was in the thick of it, Mm -hmm. I didn't have this language to be able to name what was going on. I just knew something wasn't right. Yeah, I think that's super common. Um, We just know this isn't the way it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be, but we don't realize how much of a problem it can actually be what is actually happening. Right. So let's start off with a definition of spiritual abuse. In his book titled Bully Pulpit, Michael Kruger defines spiritual abuse this way. He says spiritual abuse is when a spiritual leader, such as a pastor, elder, or head of a Christian organization, wields his position of spiritual authority in such a way that he manipulates, domineers, bullies and intimidates those under him as a means of maintaining his power and control, even if he is convinced he is seeking biblical and kingdom-related goals. And um, just as a little note here, in these definitions, uh, the pronoun he is often used, but mm-hmm. in his book, Michael Kruger makes that distinction. It's just easier to have it that way. Yeah. Um, females can be spiritual abusers too. Absolutely. So um, just wanted to make that note. Another helpful definition, along with some examples, is from the book Pivot by Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger. They say, spiritual abuse is a form of emotional and psychological abuse characterized by a systematic pattern of coercive and controlling behavior in a religious context. Spiritual abuse can have a deeply damaging impact on those who experience it. This abuse may include manipulation and exploitation, enforced accountability, censorship of decision-making, requirements for secrecy and silence, coercion to conform, the inability to ask questions, control through use of sacred texts or teaching, requirement of obedience to the abuser, the suggestion that the abuser has a divine position and isolation as a means of punishment, superiority, and elitism. There's a lot of words, yeah, (laughs) but it's complex. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also recognize that Aside from spiritual abuse, there is also a category of church hurt Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily fall into the abuse category. This often comes from others within the church. But those actions, even if it's not categorized as abuse, they leave wounds as well. Yeah, we absolutely have to remember that the church is full of broken people. And when we walk closely with other broken people, we are likely to get hurt. And whether it's intentional or not, right? Um, a lot of times, spirit, even spiritual abuse or um, you know, hurt from people within the church, it's not intentional. Mm-hmm. Like I think sometimes people don't realize that they're doing these things or they think that they're helping, but there's more hurt that's mm-hmm. going on yeah. than, than the help that they should be. And there are points when hurt crosses over to abuse. And it is okay and healthy to step away from people and environments where you do not feel safe. And no church is going to be perfect. All churches have baggage, are led by people that are going to mess up and will hurt people. Um, But some church communities are healthier than others. And some church environments can cause more harm than the good that they should provide. Yeah. And yeah, totally agree. No church is perfect. No person is perfect. And we are not perfect. Mm -hmm. It's important to recognize when we intentionally or unintentionally hurt others, we own our mistakes and we apologize. Unhealthy environments are created when there is no ownership of wrongdoings and there's no accountability. I think it takes a lot of humility to also recognize that Mm -hmm. we ourselves 
um, probably have hurt people in the church. Mm -hmm. I know, you know, especially for myself as being in a leadership position in a church at some point, I'm sure there were people that I hurt along the way and it would have absolutely been unintentionally, but we don't want to assume that, you know, we're above that or beyond that because we're broken too. And Mm -hmm. when we bring our own sin and our own baggage, usually there's some collateral damage along the way. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate, but we have to realize it and recognize that God is big enough to bring hope into that. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of these things can be resolved with good, healthy conversations, Mm -hmm. communication, Mm -hmm. but that just doesn't happen. And so then wounds get deeper. Yeah. Um, So we want to recognize that the, the deep wounds that spiritual abuse and church hurt can cause because there are no bruises or physical signs of this type of abuse. People often don't recognize the Mm -hmm. harm that's been caused. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go back to Michael Kruger's book, Bully Pulpit. He titles one full chapter, Suffering in Silence, The Devastating Effects of Spiritual Abuse. He mentions that the abused experience fear, like who am I allowed to talk to? Will things ever be the same? Uh, Anger at the abuser and those who failed to stop them. Shame, like what do people know? What have they been told about me? And depression. You're cut off from community, oftentimes ongoing triggers from people, places, um, scriptures, etc. These are really spot on for people who have experienced spiritual mm-hmm. abuse. Experiencing spiritual abuse can then really lead to religious trauma. And religious trauma occurs when a person's religious experience is stressful, degrading, dangerous, abusive, or damaging. Traumatic religious experiences may harm or threaten someone's physical, emotional, mental, sexual, or spiritual health and safety. Again, you know, this is a whole spectrum Mm -hmm. of abuse. Um, It can range from, you know, emotional and mental all the way to physical harm that's being caused. Yeah. Yeah. We look at... Um, you know, scandals that have gone on with, you know, sexual abuse within the church, which when you put it from spiritual leaders that you're supposed to trust mm-hmm. and um, when they fail us even more in those areas, it causes that additional um, buildup of harm and mm-hmm. damage. So religious trauma can also occur when a person decides to leave their harmful or abusive religious community. It can be a healthy choice to leave, but it can be disorienting for someone whose life has been controlled by a certain set of beliefs, rules, and expectations. Leaving in an unhealthy religious community can result in strained, damaged, or even broken relationships with friends, family, or partners, sacrificing an entire worldview, community, and support system, which may result in trauma of its own. It can be incredibly difficult to step out of that and onto the road of healing. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to note that trauma is based on how your mind and body interpret and respond to an event. Uh, The American Psychological Association defines trauma as an emotional response to a terrible event or a distressing experience. So not everyone responds to an event in the same manner. Similar religious experiences may cause trauma for one individual, while another one may be able to handle and process that experience entirely differently. So if you have experienced religious trauma, it's not fair for someone else to discount your experience 
based on their own experience. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that can happen to people who've experienced spiritual abuse, which causes <laughs> further trauma right. when someone tries to discount what they experienced. Yeah. Yeah. And if you haven't experienced it yourself, you have no idea yeah. what, and you know, it's, you can give a little grace to some people, but at the same time, you can't just say, well, like, oh, you just need to get over it or like, yeah, you just need to forgive and forget. It's not that simple. Yeah. And, you know, to your definition of <laughs> trauma is like, it's not what happens to you. It's what happens inside of you. Yeah. And yeah. It, completely how you respond. <clears throat> so maybe you haven't directly experienced spiritual abuse church hurt or religious trauma but you know that something just is not right in the church community you're in or you know not just a church community but maybe another religious organization mm-hmm. um, it can be helpful to know what to look for in an unhealthy church and i really like the book a church called tove by scott mcknight and laura banger for this they share seven characteristics of a toxic church so number one is a narcissistic leader um, chuck DeGroat also has a book <clears throat> called when narcissism comes to church and he states that narcissistic leaders are obsessively preoccupied with their reputation influence success rightness progressiveness relevance platform affirmation and power and um it's unfortunate that sometimes churches and religious organizations create an environment where narcissistic leaders can thrive um, because they they don't have a lot of accountability. They are set up on a pedestal more than others. Um, So number two, leaders that wield their power with intimidation and fear. So any questioning authority is punished. When the institution matters more than the people, so protecting the name of the leaders and the name of the church and whatever organization more is more uh, important than caring for the people who are inside of the church. Number four, when false narratives are given, instead of telling the truth about allegations, or like when several staff members leave a church with no explanation, and other people and families too, when there's just no truth telling. Number five, when loyalty is more important than doing justice or doing what is right. So loyalty to the pastor himself or other leaders or the church itself. Number six, when the leaders are celebrities and enjoy it and take advantage of it instead of being servants of the church. And number seven, when the culture becomes a leader culture instead of a pastor shepherd culture. I notice two big things as you read through this list. One is the pervasiveness of control Mm -hmm. within all of these um, and there being uh, this need to either control the people or control the narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, And second, I also um, see kind of the importance of how things look. So what's the The image image. that we're perceiving both of ourselves um, rather than you know, church leaders should be always pointing to Jesus, right. not to ourselves, not to, um, not to a narrative that makes us look good. It mm-hmm. just reminds me of, you know, the story of the Tower of Babel. Like they yeah. were there to uh, make a name for themselves. And God's like, no, 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 this 
is supposed to be about my name, mm -hmm. not yours. Yeah. And I think, you know, too, along that same line in churches and different religious organizations, the measure of success is attendance and giving. Mm -hmm. And you can't measure health in that way. What really matters is, you know, are these people who are here becoming more like Jesus? Yeah. And we think those things are important sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really easy for us to kind of fall into that when we're um, when we're working in those environments because we're like, well, how do we measure success? Yeah. Like if people are coming, that means that we're being successful, right? Mm -hmm. But it's people can come to church for so many different reasons. And I think people come because they're searching, searching, they're seeking. And if we just give them performance or we give them what we think they want or what we think we need to make ourselves look good, we're not being successful. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, I think a lot of our culture wants the performance. True. You know, they're they're attracted to the performance and we love a good celebrity. Things, right. <laughs> and then because that deep heart change of becoming more like Jesus is hard work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So. I, I can see even for myself, like when when you you know, do research, you listen to podcasts, you, you know, there are these kind of Christian celebrities that mm -hmm. you're like, oh, you know, this is so exciting. Like, but it's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, is it this person that I'm excited about? Or really, we should always be the end goal is, you know, seeking to glorify God. Yeah. Yeah. So when we have experienced abuse, harm, or trauma, or the general effects of a toxic church environment, it can be natural for us to question our experiences with the church and our faith. Deconstruction is a word I'm sure you've heard a lot and probably probably has a negative association in most people's minds. Yeah. Um, but I love this definition from Kerry Newhoff. He says, Christian deconstruction is the process by which a Christian critically reevaluates the tenets and doctrines of traditional Christianity and emerges with a different perspective on their faith. This term is thrown around a lot. And deconstruction can mean walking away from our faith and beliefs, but it doesn't have to. So when you experience church hurt or religious trauma, you want answers, you want justice, or even someone to blame sometimes. And when we experience a disconnect between who we thought God was and then what we experience in the church, it is understandable why some people would just want to walk away. Um, some think if this is what God is like, I don't want any mm -hmm. part of it. Or um, when we have a bad experience with something, we often want to run as far as we can from it. Yeah. And it, it's, it'd be easier to run away a yes, lot of times. Absolutely. And um, if you go down the deconstruction rabbit hole on social media, like there are so many people who they're just done. They're yeah. like, if Christians are like this, if Jesus is like this, I don't want anything to do with them. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad to see, yeah. but it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, deconstruction can be sad as it feels like our culture is pushing more people away mm -hmm. from God, but it can also be good. Yeah. Uh, John Mark Comer describes two juxtapositions of deconstruction, one where we use scripture to critique the world's corruption of the church, and the other where we use the world's ideology to critique scripture's authority over the church. 
So many people that follow a path of deconstruction grew up in the church, which is a beautiful testimony. And this is part of both of our stories. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't change that for a second. But, you know, there's not everything that we get from the church is true or good. Right. Um, so let's think about our faith with construction as a metaphor for a moment. Uh, deconstruction is just one part of a process. And if we're going to deconstruct the building, there must first be a building to deconstruct. <laughs> we have to have mm -hmm. some faith there. Um, so, or beliefs. So before we can deconstruct our faith, our faith must first be built through the process of construction. So much of what we believe comes from our parents, what they believe or the church environment that we grow up in. And we build a worldview as we grow up, building block by block the foundation of our belief system. Some of what we are handed as we build this foundation is good and beautiful, but some can be flawed. Um, could be based on the culture or experience, and this can cause cracks in the foundation that we build. Uh, we also have to consider that when our faith is built from childhood, developmentally, the way we build this foundation is going to be very black and white or rigid because we think more concretely when we mm -hmm. are young. I look at my faith when I was young, and it was so easy to believe in so many ways because I was just willing to accept the black and white. Yeah. Um, and as we grow up, we often realize that the world is more complicated mm -hmm. than we once thought. And what we see doesn't always match up with what we once believed. Um, and this can lead us to examine our belief system and worldview and find what things we have believing that are true and good and what things we have believed that have maybe been corrupted by culture or sin or politics, because that stuff all creeps into mm -hmm. the church. Yeah. Um, and similar to what we talked about last episode, when we talked about when God is cultivating new things in us, it is often necessary to break up the old hard ground in order for new things to take deep roots. Yeah. Um, sometimes we have to deconstruct our old beliefs to fix the cracks in our foundation. We have to break down before we can build back up, which brings us to the final stage of deconstruction, which is reconstruction. Mm -hmm. We have to replace old ideology that might be faulty with new beliefs about God, the world, and ourselves. And this is where deconstruction can get a little bit tricky. Uh, the world holds so many ideals that don't fit with God's view. So as we rebuild, it becomes so important that scripture becomes the foundation if we want to reconstruct on a firm foundation. Mm -hmm. uh, Tim Keller says, Christians can indeed sometimes go through periods of deconstruction and yet emerge stronger. We can go through times in which discarding or altering some of our ideas results in an overall strengthening of our Christian commitment. I love that quote. And Natalie Runyon, in her book, Raised to Stay, also says, it is impossible to question be, well, excuse me, let me start over. It is possible to question behaviors and beliefs we have seen in the church, religious organizations, and in Christians without quitting Jesus or divorcing the family of God. Jesus is right there with us in our wandering, wondering, and wrestling. So questioning isn't wrong. Examining right. the things we've always believed because that's what we've been told to believe isn't wrong. 
But in our questions, let's remember that Jesus is right there with us. Mm -hmm. So we are excited to talk more about deconstruction and reconstruction in our next episode. When we rebuild with Jesus, we will come out stronger and healthier than before. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Authentically Alongside. We hope this was an encouragement to you as we walk together towards Jesus. Thank you.